0: Welcome to the CapTech Podcast with President Sims. I'm President Sims, President of Capital Technology University. Today we have Joe Weiss. He's a managing partner at Applied Control Solutions, and he's also the industrial control system cybersecurity pioneer. And today we're lucky to have him on the program. Welcome, Joe.
1: Thank you, appreciate the opportunity.
0: Could you give us a little overview of your history?
1: Okay, I'm actually a nuclear engineer whose whole focus had been instrumentation controls and equipment diagnostics that got into cybersecurity. So what you're looking at is an engineer's view of the world of cybersecurity. Um, I also happen to be the managing director of the International Standards on Control System Cybersecurity, uh, the 62443 series of standards. So pretty much everything we talk about is gonna be from the perspective of what does cybersecurity mean to reliability, safety, resiliency, and um, productivity.
0: That's excellent. I I know my background's a little similar in the fact that I worked industrial facilities for many years and uh, I was an IT person by accident, even though I was building facilities, and that's where uh, my aspect of industrial control systems and what I've seen at many refineries that has grown out of concern the last few years. And as I'm here at Capital Tech, we started the critical infrastructure degree programs really to address what uh, isn't being talked about in industrial control systems and the danger that lies within. So, could you highlight? You know, there's a lot of going on out there right now. What would be your your top things that you're looking at that are potential attacks, and what we need to prepare for as an industry?
1: Well, let me kind of start from the scrap, from beginning a little bit, and I think it'll give a little bit of better perspective. <clears throat> and this is independent of any application, whether it's power, water, chemicals, buildings. Medical devices, transportation, you name it. A control system is composed of several elements. You have the sensors which are monitoring the process in real time. You know, how hot is it? What's my level? What's my flow? What's my voltage? What's my current? You know, what's the motor speed? You know, all of that. That's your fingers, fingers, nose it's going to, in real time, some type of actuation device, a motor, a valve, a damper, a relay, something that's going to adjust the physical process based on what you're measuring. Now, all of that's done in real time. What's happening also is all of this stuff that's going on in real time is then being sent off to the operator, which is what most people think about. That's what's going off to your Windows interfaces and you know, your screens and everything else. And it actually gets there seconds to even minutes after what's really happening in real time. So one of the really big misconceptions is that control is done by the operator. It's not. The only thing the operator will take is manual control. But that would occur maybe seconds to minutes after a facility is in rubble, if that's what you were really worried about. So what's going on is the engineers and technicians are sitting on this real-time world and as you get to the networks to bring that information off to the operators and from there off to um, wherever else you're going to do your data warehousing or whatever else you want to call it that's where the network people step in the OT network people, operational technology network people, are getting involved from when it becomes a packet, you know, that analog, because our world is analog to start with. From the time the analog information is converted to digital or directly to an Ethernet packet. Today, that's where the engineers stop, with the cyber world. The network people pick it up when that packet is created and then sent off to the operator displays or the cloud or wherever else it's gonna go. And the point being, Cybersecurity exists and you can argue all you want about how good it is from the time it becomes a packet. There is no cybersecurity at all before it becomes a packet. So what you have long-winded way of explaining all of this. And again, it doesn't matter if you're talking a building, a water plant, you know, a refinery, a pipeline, an airplane. You think of the MAX 737s, okay? The problems we have are the engineers are worried about the process, but they're not at all worried about cybersecurity. The cybersecurity people are worried about the networks and not necessarily at all with the process and oh by the way they don't like each other and they don't talk to each other very much now i'm giving you a 90 percent statement the network people you know again i'm going to diverge for a minute there's a term out there now very common called ot operational technology it was a term generated or developed by Gartner, because they didn't know what a control system was. So it was their way of getting them out of this area by simply defining it away, by saying, if you're not IT, you're OT. But in reality, most people today who are OT are the network people. They're not the process engineer. They're not the safety engineer. They're not the manufacturing engineer. They're not the facilities engineer. Ask most of them. If they consider themselves to be OT, the first thing they're going to ask you is, what is OT? Whereas the network world assumes everybody knows what OT is. So. You've got this big problem, starting with, number one, neither side is trying to address the whole issue. And number two, they don't like each other. Now, other than that, you know, the famous statement, how did you like the play, Mrs. Lincoln? Or if you will, we have a disconnect between what's coming from our fingers and our eyes and our nose as to what's going to the brain. The brain is assuming that the fingers work. So if you put your finger on a burner, you're going to say, ouch, and the brain is going to tell you, take your finger off. But if you've lost any sensation in your finger, unless the unless the eyes see a glowing ember there, the brain isn't gonna know to tell you to take your finger off. Or the official, if you don't hear a train coming, what do you do? You drive your car across the train tracks. Or if you're colorblind, what do you do? You go through a yellow or red light. Our problem is none of that stuff is cyber secure and Somebody can either inadvertently, which happens a lot, or maliciously, change it, and the brain doesn't know it, or if you will, your central computer doesn't know it. Long-winded answer. Oh, that's that's good, and
0: you know, with uh, as you mentioned, the OT, <clears throat> it's really. Not packaged yet for cyber, so how long is that gap before anybody gets that information to know that if it's corrupted?
1: Well, I'll give you an example. Again, what I'm giving you is public. Yokogawa did a study in Japan at one of the refineries, you know, where they supply the equipment. And what they found was something like 50% of the nuisance alarms in that refinery were coming from what was called rearranged sensors. So what that means is, again, being a bit techy for a minute, if you've got a sensor and you're trying to measure, say, pressure, and you're going from 0 to 100 psi, or a temperature of 0 to 100 degrees, The range would be, if it's set right, zero, which would be, say, 4 milliamps to 100, which would be 20 milliamps, okay? And your safety set points would be set accordingly. Well, if you rearrange it, all of a sudden, whether you're talking span or range, instead of going from zero to 100, you can make it go from where zero should have been at zero, zero is now like where it would have been at 10. So 100 is no longer 100, it would only go to 90 if you follow where I'm coming from. Well, the network people don't know that the sensors aren't measuring what they're supposed to. And the problem is you just lost all your safety. You're never going to be at a point where you can say, I better turn on or turn off, you know, turn things on or off to prevent an explosion. It'll never get there. So what's going on is, and there's no cybersecurity there whatsoever. Works are oblivious.
0: I mean, there's many conferences and organizations and government entities. What? uh what's gonna happen that in the future that somebody has to understand this and they, they just don't seem to really be focused on these issues.
1: Well, again, I'm talking about sensors for a minute, you know, because number one, they're ubiquitous. Number two, if they don't work, nothing works. It's really that simple, okay? When you look at the electric industry, they have what are called the NERC critical infrastructure protection standards. Those are your cybersecurity standards. So what did they do? They made the sensors out of scope. That's not even being looked at today in the electric industry. Period. Period. Okay. Um, when you look at almost you know most of the drawings of what a uh, System looks like. Many times it will only go down as far as what's called a programmable logic controller. Um, if you're familiar, do you teach anything about the Purdue reference model? Uh,
0: in the classes we have, SCADA class and industrial control systems classes, and so I'm sure that they cover that in the uh, master's level. Areas. So,
1: you know, for what it's worth, just. Again, to give people an idea, the Purdue reference model was created probably back in the 90s. It had nothing to do with cybersecurity. It had to do really with trying to categorize the different forms of instrumentation and controls. And it was really done because this is when the ERPs, the if you will, the Enterprise Resource Planning or manufacturing execution systems were coming into play. And the really big manufacturers, et cetera, wanted to understand how that interplay was going to work between the control system world and truly the IT world. That's really, in a sense, where the Purdue reference model came from. But what it did is it basically characterized things by time. The big picture is this. There are two aspects of cybersecurity. One is the protection of data, and that's an IT function. The second is the protection, or as DOD would say, one is information assurance, which is the IT world. The second is mission assurance, which is the engineering world. And mission assurance requires that the equipment be cyber secure so you can accomplish your mission. Your mission may be generating power. It may be making widgets. It may be you know, cooling a room, or it could be controlling the venting in a laboratory. What you're worried about is, can cyber affect accomplishing the mission? And what's gotten lost is, from an engineering perspective, is, and I say that again from my days in nuclear, You've designed a system to be safe. What you're really asking is, can cyber cause a problem that you hadn't already accounted for? If it has, you gotta go back and redo your analysis or your design. If it can't cause a problem beyond what you've already designed for, you're okay. From a safety perspective, reliability is different. You know, you may not be able to, or want to tolerate the shutting down of the facility, but can you make sure it stays safe? Yes. Well, what has been lost is cyber has become, purely a information, you know, problem, information insurance. I mean, think about today. What has become synonymous with cybersecurity is ransomware. Pretty much synonymous. You look at pretty much everything going on in Washington today in terms of cybersecurity requirements, it's almost all focused on ransomware. Or going back, it's almost all focused on information assurance. And I mean, zero, not a little zero. Is being addressed when it comes to. Mission insurance. When you look at the TSA requirements that are being put in place, you know, they got put in place for pipelines after Colonial. And what they want to put in place for uh, transportation, you know, rail, air. Go back to the pipelines. They now have requirements for reporting. Again, because of colonial. So these requirements are, say, you know, and and the head of TSA testified to Congress, I think, like about a month or two ago. So those requirements were in place for, say, two months. And in those two months, there were 220 quote unquote cyber attacks against pipelines. That's what was testified to in Congress. In that period of time, there were no pipeline ruptures I'm aware of. There were no pipeline shutdowns I'm aware of. So what did that say those 220 cyber attacks against the pipelines were? IT. Now, here's another piece to that, too. And it goes back to where I started before. In the network world, be it IT or OT, cybersecurity has been an issue from day one, or almost day one. So what is automatically in there is not only cybersecurity mitigation, but cybersecurity forensics. You have all of your network logging. Well, guess what? None of that exists. It doesn't exist with our devices. Sensors, actuators, drives, positioners, analyzers. There is no cyber forensic. There are no cyber logging there. So you're really caught betwixt in between. Why do you keep finding, you know, the cyber attacks on the IT side? Because that's where you're looking. Why are you not finding the cyber attacks on the other side? Because you're not looking. The other piece is, you think about Stuxnet. Familiar with Stuxnet? That was yep. you know, attacking the centrifuges in Iran. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The point being, for over a year, The Iranians were running those centrifuges. They could hear them screaming. They were tearing themselves apart. They could hear them. But for a year, over a year, they thought it was simply a design deficiency. Never considered the fact that that was a cyber attack. What is a sophisticated attacker going to do? They're going to make a cyber attack look like an equipment malfunction when it comes to the control system world. Who's going to see it? This is, again, you think about everything coming out of Washington. You've got to tell me when there's been a cyber attack because people assume wrongly, and this is you know for Capital University, among others, that forensics exists and people have been trained. That's where I was saying the capital part. Yeah. We have no forensics, and there is no training. All of the training today, and I mean all, is for the network people, whether they're IT or OT. None of it is from, for the engineers or technicians. Often they're not even part, they're not even allowed to be. Now, this is not 100%, but probably 70, 80, or 90%. They're not even allowed to be part of the cybersecurity team. I wrote an article, Let's see if I can point it out. I don't know if you can see this. Or if it's coming through or whatever, What's anyways, up? this I'm is up? called uh NSPE, the National Society of Professional Engineers, and I wrote a, an article for the um uh May June 2020 issue, and it was Attention Policymakers, cybersecurity is more than an IT issue because it turns out almost. No cybersecurity policy-making organization, not just in the government, but in anywhere, has part of the cybersecurity policy-making organization, vice president of engineering, vice president of manufacturing, vice president of refining or pipeline, pick it, They're not part of any cybersecurity policy making organization. Well, how can you protect what you're doing? This should be brain dead 101. I agree. And I remember many years ago, Richard Clark, who was the cyber czar at the time, I had met him I was Managing the control system cyber program at EPRI, at the Electric Power Research Institute. And he had told me he was going to go out and he was seeing all of this, the uh, chief information officers. This was before there was a CISO, it was the CIO. <clears throat> and he was telling me, you know, how he was going to make this progress by going and talking, you know. Here's a person reporting to the president of the United States, and it's meeting with all of the CIOs. And you know what I had to tell them? You're meeting with the wrong people. None of them had any responsibility whatsoever for any facility. They were totally responsible for the business computing infrastructure. What good does it tell, do to say you gotta go talk to those people about protecting your turban or your transformer, you know, or your you know, robots on an assembly line?
0: Right, right. It doesn't. They have to be part of it.
1: That's what's missing today.
0: Are we gonna? To- see some progress in the future? Or is it going to take some major catastrophe?
1: Well, here's what you bring up is wonderful. And everybody always says this. Wait until a major catastrophe happens and everything will be fine. Well, you're in Washington. I was put on a National Academy Transportation Research Board panel. Because the DC Metro Red Line train crash, I'm sure you remember that, killed 11. You know, major catastrophe. It turned out, yes, it was control system cyber. Was it malicious? No. It's actually in my book. And part of what happened that's even more interesting, you may not be aware of. The night before the DC Metro train crash, a similar control system cyber issue occurred with the MTA in Boston. Only nobody was hurt. The same thing that happened with the red line train crash, the control system issues, occurred later with the, with the Metro. But again, nobody was hurt. Well, these weren't IT problems. These were control system issues. The reason that whole thing went is I happened to call and send a blog and whatever about the DC Metro train crash. That's why we had that. And what was interesting too, of the, I don't know, eight or 10 people that composed this special panel, besides myself, there was one engineer. He happened to be in charge of all of the signaling he's uh, subsequently uh, retired but he was head of signaling for septa you know philadelphia southeast you know pennsylvania trend okay very 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 knowledgeable engineer knew all about all of the signaling all about everything else besides me he was the only engineer on that panel Everybody else was coming from cyber. Yet what happened with DC Metro had nothing to do in a funny sense with the networks. So when you ask, part of what I'm trying to explain is even when there is a problem, you can look at, you know, I'm in California, I'm on the other side of the world. When we had the uh, Pacific Gas and Electric San Bruno natural gas pipeline rupture, PG&E is now a convicted felon because of that. It was control system cyber. It was intentional what they did. Was it malicious? No. They never had a clue because they didn't know that there was a weak pipe everything they did, the cyber issues are what caused that pipe to fail, okay? Yet you won't read anywhere other than in my book that San Bruno was cyber, not, not malicious. Now, that was huge. You know, here's another one. The 2003 Northeast outage, you were affected, you know, as were 50 million people. It turns out that roughly a quarter to a third of the recommendations of the final report of the Northeast outage were cyber. Didn't know that, did you? It turns out two things occurred with the Northeast outage. The tree fell on the line, which you're aware of. Mm -hmm. And a SCADA system, at first energy, had a latching problem with their SCADA. That's why it was able to cascade. And here's another one you're probably not aware of. I think it's in my book but anyways it turns out earlier in the day of the northeast outage which occurred at roughly 4:30 eastern time at 11 o'clock central time I was on an emergency NERC phone call because a utility not in the northeast had their SCADA system brought to its knees from a cyber attack. You didn't. You weren't aware of any of this. I sure wasn't. And and I'm, where I'm coming from is. There is all of this stuff that's already there. We've had one case. It's again. It's in my book. Where a, an electric SCADA system was targeted. They lost SCADA for two weeks. I actually wrote this up with the engineer from the utility who didn't have to go public. Therefore, I'm not telling you who. Now, again, misunderstanding. The minute I say SCADA went dark, you think the lights went out. The lights didn't go out. They lost SCADA for two weeks. The lights didn't go out. That's why they did not have to report it. That's why you're not going to know who it is. But they lost data for two weeks. What I did in the book, in my book, which is called Protecting Industrial Control Systems from Electronic Threats, we actually did something nobody has ever done before or since that I'm aware of. We actually came up with the economic cost to the utility from that real honest cyber attack. And instead of putting it in dollars, we put it in man hours. So it was transferable because, you know, for people all over the world, you know, that aren't necessarily on the dollars. Right. But. This was a real case. You're not aware of it. And what's interesting, you are a really, really, really knowledgeable person. You're in the, you know, in the world, you know, in this world, da, 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 da. this is precisely what our problem is. That the knowledgeable people people who can help carry the ball aren't even aware that there's a ball to carry. I have a database that is not public. Kind of why I just told you this utility, okay. I've been able to identify almost 12 million control system cyber incidents today. There's been over 1,500 deaths and well, well over $90 billion in direct damage. And just like the DC Metro train crash, you weren't even aware of them.
0: And those are some big numbers.
1: And by the way, the $90 billion is so, 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 so conservative. OK? The 15th, this is just what I've found. And these, this is direct, these are direct deaths, you know, plane crashes, pipeline ruptures, you know, um, offshore oil, you know, platform. I mean, this, this isn't like, you know, they made the big thing in Germany that somebody died in the ambulance because they went to a hospital, the hospital had ransomware and so the person died on the way to the next hospital. This is direct. I mean, we have direct deaths from medical devices that overradiated people and killed them. The crazy part is a lot of this is documented in books dealing with safety.
0: That is crazy.
1: And yet, you follow where I'm coming from. And I'm an engineer, so I always say, don't take what I'm saying in a bad way.
0: Right.
1: You're not even looking where things need to be found. Right. Okay. I mean, many of these cases are taught in universities as safety issues.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: they haven't even begun to think about tying the word cyber to them. Mm -hmm. You know, here's another point, too. Again, I, I mentioned the name of my book is called Protecting Industrial Control Systems from Electronic Threats. The reason it's called electronic threats is because if I said cyber attacks you would think a 12 year old pimply faced hacker who's there you know playing with malware you know with windows when i ha- you know my first con i when i left epri in 2002 i started the first first control system cyber conference anywhere you know i sold it in 2015 to security week but Every other conference grew out of them. When we had the first conference, I'll just mention these two to give you an idea. I had inv- invited all of the people I knew from either my instrumentation controls days or the couple of years I was running the EPRI control system cyber program. Well, three entities showed up. I didn't invite. Not that I didn't want them there. I didn't even know who they were. The first was the National Transportation Safety Board. What is NTSB doing in a control system cyber conference? They were there because they were finalizing the report on the Bellingham, Washington Olympic pipeline rupture that, oh, by the way, is not covered by any of the TSA cybersecurity guidance. Uh, A representative was there from the Idaho National Labs who I subsequently helped start the SCADA testbed at Idaho. The third was from a country in Asia and they were there because they had had multiple control system cyber incidents. One took out about 10% of the generation of their country. This is how I found out. When I had my second conference, we didn't have a SCADA testbed yet. So I had invited Sandia, Idaho, PNNL, NIST. I was doing lots of work with NIST. And Navy Mission Assurance Dahlgren, because I'd been doing work with Dahlgren. On other issues, of all things EMP, electromagnetic pulse. But I invited all of them because they all had the capability of being test ranges. So the first two slides that Dahlgren put up on Navy letterhead in this unclassified meeting was a Navy destroyer was coming into the port of San Diego. They had not turned off their high-powered pulse radar system. This Navy destroyer took out San Diego Gas and Electric and the San Diego Water Authority SCADA systems. The second slide was the Navy was doing pulse radar testing in the Netherlands and blew up a 36-inch pipeline. By the way, again, not at all covered by the good old TSA cybersecurity requirements.
0: I wouldn't say so.
1: Different world, isn't it? It sure is. Yes. Anyways, that's kind of the, you know, there there are multiple stories like this all over. Uh, I'm supposed to be giving a presentation to the Maryland um, uh, Cybersecurity Organization. Again, it's going to be virtual. I haven't been on an airplane in a while because of the pandemic. Um, But that's going to be I think November 23rd. Um, That's good. But it's just Like I was on, you know, our taping was interrupted with a call from DOE. Mm
0: -hmm. It's all, it's all, you know, um, as you mentioned, so much stuff that nobody realizes what's going on and has any idea.
1: What happened? And then I'm going to have to leave. And it's an explanation of why we are where we are. Prior to 9-11, the engineers and technicians or clinicians, pick a term, owned everything that they were responsible for. So if you had a turbine, you were responsible not only for the operation of the turbine, you were responsible for the cybersecurity of that turbine. If you were Honeywell or that point in time, it was Rosemont, now Emerson, ABB, whatever. And you're making sensors or you're making motors. You were responsible for everything about it. Well, what happened was following 9-11, don't have a date, don't have a document. Cyber was made national security. And when that happened, Everything was yanked away from every cyber was yanked away from every engineering organization everywhere, including DoD, DOE everywhere, GE, Siemens, you name it, and given to IT. Now you call you'd call it OT today, but okay, well to IT or for that matter even OT, cyber is the Ethernet or internet protocol network and all of the devices native to the internet protocol network. So what happened? All of our sensors, actuators, drives, positioners, power supplies, you name it, fell off. Why they were not native IP devices, which is why to this day, We have no cybersecurity in anything we measure or actuate. Isn't it a crazy statement to say? The only place we have no cybersecurity is where you go boom in the night. (laughs) It really is crazy.
0: You're absolutely right.
1: And this is where we are. And most universities, because you can never say, you know, never say never, never say all. Sure. Are not addressing this even those that address, quote unquote, OT security, are really only addressing networks. Mm-hmm. Well, you, uh, you certainly have nailed it and um, everybody
0: needs to get your book, that's for, sure. <laughs> that's for sure.
1: It was, you know, it was, I wrote it. Let me see if I can, again, I don't know how well it'll be seen.
0: But uh, protecting industrial control systems
1: from electronic threats
0: from electronic f- threats, right?
1: Okay, and there's some universities that are actually using it for required reading. Okay, okay, That's good
0: to know. Yes, excellent.
1: You know, as an engineer, there is one equation in the entire book. Hmm. I had to have an equation. <laughs> Risk is frequency times consequence. Oh, there
0: you go. <laughs> but you've got an equation.
1: Um, it was written in 2010. It's still valid, mm-hmm. which is scary.
0: Yes, I agree.
1: It was written because I was testifying to Congress. I was trying to get something so that staffers would understand what I was saying. So I was trying to explain... To the IT world, what's a control system? To the control system world, what is cyber? Hmm. And I've got about 20 or so actual case histories in there. Um, well, that's- Almost uh, every other book, even being written today, is going to take you through all of the network stuff. Right. And, and I deliberately wasn't trying to do that.
0: I completely understand what you're saying. and that's. That's where most people want to go, but that's not where you need to go.
1: Well, the point is, it's where most people want to go. Why? Because cybersecurity is taught within computer science. Therefore, they know networks. Any engineering discipline generally does not require an intro course into cybersecurity. So what you have are these two worlds that are going right by each other. Yes. And so people want to, you know, they're they're looking at the networks. Why? That's what they know. That's what they're comfortable with. Right. Well,
0: listen, Joe. I know we're running out of time, and I really do appreciate everything that you've done today, and. I hope the listeners to our podcast grab your book or link in with you. Uh, Wealth of information that you have and the industrial control systems organization you participate with, Uh, lots of good information out there. Uh, We just need to keep expanding this so that folks understand what we're dealing with and how broad it is. It's not just an IT thing, as you mentioned, and engineers are a key component to help us fix this. And they should want to be involved at that ground level, uh, just as you mentioned about the equipment. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> piece of equipment that's running and can be attacked through OT or something can destroy a whole facility where there's no cyber over it. <laughs> it's just the attack of the equipment. And so that's really where you 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 understand this and you you really are trying to get this information out there. And I really appreciate your time.
1: Brad, thank you for reaching out. Um, I, do you have my contact information? or are you yes. able to put it on?
0: Yes, I will. I'll take it off uh, LinkedIn once I post everything and send you a copy.
1: Great, thanks.
0: All right, well, take care and thank you so much for today.
1: Okay, thank you for reaching out and asking. Talk to you then.
0: Okay, take care. bye. bye.